Broadcasting from the UNMC College of Nursing, get ready for RN Huddle, the podcast dedicated to bringing hot topics for and by nurses to the table. Thank you so much for joining us here at RN Huddle. This is your host, Heidi Keeler, and we are coming to you from Omaha, Nebraska. So thank you so much for joining us. Today's episode, we are going to continue on our partnership with the National Pressure Injury Advisory Panel, or NPIAP, and we are also continuing a discussion on wheelchair wounds, where our co-host, Renee Pollan, will continue the discussion with our guests, Anna Encho, Kara Coplin, and Stacey Mullis, as they really dig into the more nitty-gritty details about managing and preventing wounds that occur from wheelchairs and their special situations. So thank you, Renee and guests, for presenting your expertise. Let's go ahead and get started. We are back again for part two of the Promobile MPIAP podcast with the team of experts, Anna, Stacy, and Kara, to further talk about seating interventions and the funding surrounding these decisions for our patients and our residents. Welcome back. Thank Thank you, you. glad to be here. All right, so let's talk about, there's a wide range of cushions as our listeners know and from what we've talked about in part one, and some can be very costly. So what is the best way to approach this decision-making? I can go ahead and field that question first. So this is Anna and you know, I think the, the biggest thing when it comes to thinking of the cost, and that really actually, it's a very different answer if you're looking at what type of setting we're dealing with. So I'm going to talk first about uh, settings with funding, and cost usually isn't that big of a deal for them, only because of the fact that if you can justify the need and look at the different codes that the products have, and usually you can get that person that product without any issues um, because they have funding. Now, if you switch gears completely and you look at uh, settings without funding, so in the United States, most of our nursing home settings, for example, do not have funding. There are small pockets of the country, a couple of states like Washington State, Ohio, that do have funding um, through Medicaid, but, but not many. Most of our states do not have any funding in the nursing home setting, and so the burden of cost really falls on the shoulders of the facility themselves, or maybe even family. So that's when it starts to get a little hairy and we have to really talk about the quality of the product and then looking at the long-term, you know, cost, right? So a lot of these facilities have very, very tight budgets, especially now after COVID when pretty much all they could think about was getting enough PPE, right? And so they really were even more cost aware of cost of cushions and back supports and the wheelchair themselves because they were so scared to to not have money to to buy all of the PPE that they needed. But I always kind of make this analogy. And, you know, there is a difference between a $20 cushion and a $250 cushion. And, you know, you can walk into Walmart today and you can buy a $20 pair of sneakers, or you can go to a specialized running shop and get yourself $160 pair of sneakers. And you kind of have to think about, well, what do I need those sneakers for? And the $20 pair of sneakers, it's going to not have any arch support. It's going to be made with the, the lowest quality cost-effective foam that's out there. It's just going to be kind of a straight shoe. And it doesn't matter what your foot looks like. You're just going to have to shove your foot in there and deal with it. 
or <laughs> you're going to go to that, you know, the shoe store and get that $160 pair of sneaker that has a fantastic arch support, the toe box shape counts, the, the heel shape counts, the type of foam, the way that it's going to immerse your foot, support your foot. And the question is, do you want to go run a marathon in the $20 Walmart pair of shoes, or do you want to use the $160 pair of shoes that was built to last during a marathon and all the training up to that marathon? So I think that pretty much sums it up that do we want our clients that are high risk, that have multiple comorbidities, that have aging skin, that have that immobility that the NPIP talked about, that's the number one factor for pressure injury development. Do we want them sitting on something that's constructed for, you know, 20 minutes, or do you want something that's constructed to last three to four to five years? And I think that that it is very important to understand that we should maybe think about, I could buy the $20 cushion, but in two months, I'm going to have to buy it again. And then in two more months, I'm going to have to buy it again. And that kind of brings me back to my own personal experience. When I first started in seating and positioning, I was working in a nursing home setting and I just did not have a lot of experience. I was one of those people that came out of school and maybe I got a whopping four hours in my master's program. And so when my facility said, you know, you really have to think of cost, I would buy a $35 cushion. And I am not kidding you. And we kind of joked and we would call these patients repeat offenders, but they kept coming back to me on caseload every one and a half months to two months because that cushion had completely compressed, it had worn out, and I had to get them the same cushion. So I kept buying the same cushion over and over, this $35 cushion. And if you kind of do the math, that's about what, $210, you know, $230 a year to buy the same cushion over and over that kept wearing out, where I could have just bought the high quality, great cushion that has built-in properties to protect that person at $250, right? And that $250 cushion would have lasted three to four years where this one lasts maybe one and a half to two months. So there is a big difference. And I think we have to think again about the long-term cost, not just say, oh gosh, I'm gonna have to spend $250 up front. So that's very good. I like the analogy in detail. And then the manufacturers then, are they, they're going by standards, correct? And there's testing involved. What should a clinician be looking at or? Should they be involved in that? Yeah, this is Kara. I'm glad to answer that. We have a few few different layers here. In the clinical practice guideline that was created by the NPIAP, they do describe some of those features of a cushion that, or any support surface that provides that skin protection. And one of those features is immersion and envelopment, or it can be offloading. So I'm personally actively involved with the international standards that are developed for wheelchair seating. And we do have specific tests that have been developed that are performed in a lab. And so these are more engineering-based mechanical tests of cushions to see if they have those beneficial properties of immersion and envelopment and other properties as well, like stability and um, lateral and forward and, and backwards. But these are voluntary standards. However, they are based on understanding the body and what it needs for prevention. So we know now that pressure injuries don't just come from cutting off blood flow. It's also the deformation of those tissues and the, the cell death that results. So that's why the clinical practice guideline says that you need to manage those tissues 
by immersing and enveloping or offloading. So there is an ISO standard, an international standard for immersion, for example, that measures how deep um, really a simulated pelvis can go into a cushion. Is it deep enough or contoured enough to support the greater trochanters and the ischial tuberosities? And so this is a very simple test that can be performed. If you have a thin, flat, like general use cushion, it's not going to give that contouring and that support that the body needs. So in the US, um, the Medicare system has recognized that and they've adopted part of that ISO standard to take just that measurement. So that's the measurement that they use to decide if a cushion is a skin protection cushion or not. So this, this simple measure of immersion, does it have the contouring and the structure and the strength to let the pelvis sink in 40 millimeters plus allow for another five millimeters of overload? And if so, then it's qualified that way. So that's a, that's a really great basic line in the sand that's been drawn. And as Anna said, the number one risk for the seated person or, or for anyone for pressure injuries is immobility. And so everyone in a wheelchair is at risk. And honestly, I, I would think that everyone would want to have a skin protection cushion or recommend that for their clients because of that. Are there legalities surrounding this as well, these standards, these tests? So when the standards are developed, they are voluntary standards until a regulatory body adopts them. And so from a manufacturer's standpoint, for example, if there is a cushion that is designed and developed to be a skin protection cushion, it needs to have that evidence behind it. So there's a process when a cushion is submitted to the, the funding system, the Medicare funding system, that they have to perform that ISO test and show the data that they did immerse and envelop per the requirements of those HCPCS codes for skin protection or adjustable skin protection cushions. And after this whole package of information is put together with that test and flammability test and information about the, the cover and um, and even how it performs after simulated aging. So all of that is submitted. And then if it's approved, then that HCPCS code is issued for a skin protection or adjustable skin protection cushion. So there is that obligation to meet that requirement. But as was mentioned before, not all clients are getting cushions that are through the Medicare or Medicaid system. And so that's where you need to take a step back. This test standard for immersion is based on anatomy. And so even if your client is not part of funding, if they're in a long-term care facility or a different situation, you should still require that they have that level of protection, that that test still applies. And so it's a question that can be asked. If there's not a HCPCS code with a product, it's appropriate to ask the manufacturer, do you meet the ISO standard or do you meet the, the Medicare standard for skin protection? Because I wanna make sure the client's protected. Okay, well, can you tell us a little bit more about these uh, Medicare HCPCS codes and what that means to our listeners? Sure, so this is the Healthcare Common Procedure Coding System. And 
They do have, they of course have requirements for who's eligible to get different types of cushions and the types of cushions, the categories that Medicare has designated are general use, skin protection, non-adjustable, skin protection adjustable, positioning cushions, and then adjustable skin and positioning. So on the design side of things, speaking as the engineer in the group, um, there are these guidelines or requirements that are laid out for a manufacturer to register their product in one of those categories. And that is reviewed by some agencies within Medicare. So for example, for a positioning cushion, there you have to pick two features. There has to be a preissial bar ridge or lateral pelvic supports or medial thigh supports that are 25 millimeters high. So you have to design that into your cushion to be able to demonstrate that it can provide some positioning. If it's just a flat piece of foam, that's just general use. And then on the most adaptable and adjustable end of things, you have the adjustable skin protection cushions. And that's where you have to demonstrate that immersion, plus show that you can adjust to the person and that the adjustability relates to the skin protection part of the cushion. So like you couldn't just have a cushion that could get wider or deeper. It has to be adjustable where you have that need for protection, like under the ITs. And so every manufacturer that applies for these codes puts together this package of information with the test data and the engineering drawings and a checklist showing that they've met all of these features that have been identified through the FDA and Medicare as being critical for these cushions. And I can just add to that and speak to the clinical side of the meaning of these HICPIC codes. And essentially as a clinician, when I'm selecting a cushion for a client, I do my evaluation and I look at what the goals are, what I'm trying to accomplish. But when it comes to selecting an actual cushion, whether this is good or bad, it can be both at times, but it's dependent on diagnosis and presentation. And so, but when it comes to wounds, essentially, if someone has a wound, they're going to qualify for a skin protection cushion, but they may also qualify for a skin protection and positioning cushion. So I guess that when it comes to the HICPIC codes, it's good in the sense that it kind of directs the selection process, but then sometimes, you know, there are instances when you really wish you could get a particular cushion and your client just doesn't qualify for that particular cushion. So there are some limitations in, in that process. I think that brings me to a point of, of kind of what my hope is. And Again, what I love about how the NPIP laid out the risk factors is that they're opening people's eyes. They're opening physicians, nurses, therapists' eyes that we have a tendency with Medicare and Medicaid to kind of just, as Stacy said, group someone into a diagnosis. And if you have that specific diagnosis, that is the code that they get qualified for and they can buy something, you know, that particular type of cushion that Kara and Stacy had mentioned. And the problem with that is that we shouldn't be defined by our diagnosis. And the NPIP laid it out very nicely for us that 
you should be looking at the risk factors. You know, someone with a, without that diagnosis still might have all those risk factors. So they still deserve and probably should be using a skin protection product in a minimum in order to you know, minimize their risk of developing a pressure injury. So I'm hoping that as the NPIP starts to collaborate more with the manufacturing side and the therapist side, they'll start to understand and be able to be even a stronger voice to Medicare and Medicaid and saying, hey, think outside of the diagnosis. A person is not just their diagnosis, but they do have signs and symptoms that we should be considering to make sure that we're getting them the right equipment so that we can minimize the risk of, of pressure injuries, which is a very serious issue within our healthcare system. And the documentation of those risk factors is always crucial to justify what you're using on the patient and how you're using it and what so forth. And this is Kara. I'd like to add that the standards that have been developed for testing cushions also give one more tool in that toolkit in the clinical decision-making process. So you should always ask for the data behind the claims for the cushions or seating systems that you're looking at. Well, this was all great. Do any of you have any other suggestions or resources to share with our listeners today to help further grasp the funding or the HIC codes? No, I think that the last thing that, that I'd like to leave you with is I get asked a question very, very often. And because I work in settings that do not have funding. So I work mostly with nursing home settings. And I do get asked that question all the time. Well, why should I go and buy the $250 cushion when there's one right here that's $30? So I'm really hoping that with Kara's explanation of how much on the engineering side, you know, we actually have to do to be able to create a product that can help immerse and envelop and all the things that it actually has to have inside of it. I'm hoping that that question is answered. Yes, there is a huge difference. And yes, someone with all the risk factors that have been mentioned deserves a product that is built to withstand all of those risk factors and really protect that person. Yeah, and I would also just guide people to the NPIP resource site and download or order the, the wheelchair seating pocket guide. As we mentioned, I think in, our, in part one of our podcast, it's a great resource to really tie the practice guidelines to clinical practice and gives really practical suggestions as well. Well, that's all for today. And thank you to Anna, Stacy, and Kara once again for being with us and sharing your wealth of knowledge on RN Huddle. Thank you for having us. We will link the resources on RN Huddle. And listeners, please be sure to visit the MPIAP site for a plethora of resources, as mentioned, and to listen to other podcasts surrounding pressure injury prevention. Listeners, if you want to hear more and have a request, please visit the RN Huddle site where you can email us with any suggestions. We thank you for listening and stay tuned for more hot topics. Thank you. Wow, what an amazing discussion. Renee, Anna, Kara, and Stacy. thank you so much. You know, really talking about how you can prevent these wounds using different adaptive devices. And, and of course, it's always helpful to know how the coding works and how you can get these resources to the patients who need them the most. So thank you so much for this discussion. Thank you so much for this partnership. And I hope that you out there in RN Huddle listener land have enjoyed this as much as I have. So thank you. 
Hopefully you'll tune in to another episode of RN Huddle. Thank you for listening to RN Huddle. To stay connected, follow us on Twitter and Facebook at UNMC CNE or check out unmc.edu slash CNE for more program information.